All right, I think we're live. Uh, it's been a while since I've done one of these, so apologize if I'm a bit rusty. But yeah, we wanted to do something a little bit different during office hours today. Uh, at the very end, Jordan's going to kind of answer any uh, leftover NFL questions that might not have anything to do with what we talk about right now. But we've really been uh, work workshopping, really, um, clearer way of just thinking about how to approach DFS. Um, and it's tough. And I mean, like I've, I've gone down a ton of tangents myself and, and we've had very long conversations where at the end of it, we get more confused than anything else. So we're trying to keep it simple. Um, and we think we, we're in, going in the right direction. Uh, but again, like this is a rough draft. I've, I've got some light visuals uh, that we'll, we'll bring up to try to better, better make the point. Um, but let us know in chat as you're you're tuning in, just if this makes sense, if you have questions. Um, but really, our goal with what we're going to go over right now is just to give you a clear path to building really a game plan for how you approach not just NFL DFS. We will apply it specifically there, but to DFS in general, mm -hmm. um, because I don't know if if, if you look at what winning players do, there's going to be some similarities in the way they approach things in their process. But really what it comes down to between the, the top winners, the, the guys that you consistently see up there at the top of the leaderboard, the ones that have been doing this for years to big results. Um, it's not just that they, they do a few of the things right. It's that they really have a repeatable process. Mm -hmm. Most of us, uh, when we, we may say we have a process, but it's not consistent to say the least. Um, there are going to be some things that we are always doing every time we play, but usually at least what, what used to happen with me and what I've worked on, but uh, um, it's like, okay, I get on my stacks, I get in the things I know I want. And then I just kind of fill in the rest of my time with whatever shiny objects catch my eye. Like, Oh, this seems weird to me. Um, why am I getting so much of this player? And then like, just go on, uh, go deep into the rabbit hole on that spot. And then I look up later and I'm like, oh shit, like locks coming right up and these lineups still don't look great. And now you're kind of scrambling to get the rest of the things in. Um, and maybe, may, maybe I'm weird like that, but I, I think everyone's got, they got some parts of the game that are like that, where it's again, like you've got the key things you're trying to do, but you're not as uh, deliberate about the order that you do things. And you're not, as deliberate about once you get those things done, what else do you do? Um, and I think we, we were trying to figure out some different metaphors for this and to try to explain like what it actually does, like the way, what the top players do is not just having a repeatable process, but it's one that gets better results like that. That's obvious. And the way that they do it is they, Jordan, like, tell me if, if, I'm glossing over anything here, but to me, there's kind of two steps. There's first, they're going to build a outline of mm -hmm. basically like good lineups. They're going to say, okay, this is what I've got to do to make lineups that have any shot of, of winning. I don't want to get caught with my pants down if something changes and just like have nothing to, to put in the contest with any chance. So like I've got to get to that minimum viable spot first. But then from there, once I'm there, what do I do to to fill in the details? And I think this is where we'll 
let's make sure I can actually share my screen in here. So this is kind of how I feel like a lot of us, when we think about a process, this is what, what comes to mind. I, like, I don't right, see your screen here, Andy. Uh, oh, there it is. Add it up there. Yeah, stop. There you go. There we oh, go. <laughs> um, like, okay, I know I got to get these basics in place, and then I have no idea what to do. It's like I'm supposed to somehow come up with this masterpiece. And for some of us, and maybe a lot of people here who have had good results without a clear defined process, you might be able to draw that owl without starting with more than two circles. But like if things change and you find out that the, the maybe it's not an owl that you need to draw anymore, it's something else, or like maybe it's a different color owl, like whatever it is, like, but you've gone to this level of detail, like you're, you got to start over from scratch and you're going to be screwed. I think this is often what, what can happen with the way a lot of us build lineups is not an owl, but a horse. It's like we go <laughs> super deep into the detail and like, all right, like I'm going to make this perfect. And then someone gets scratched. And you have to erase everything that you just worked on, or you didn't even get that far and just put in what you can. And you know, those lineups are toast. Neither is like really ideal. The first one uh, really just relies on your skill and it doesn't let you add value in a consistent way. It's not efficient at all. Even if you can get something that looks great, you don't want to purely rely on like artistic creativity. You want to direct your efforts to where they're going to have the biggest impact. And without a process, you're just not able to do that. In this way, it's like, yeah, you got off to a great start, but don't even know how to finish it or you don't have time to. Neither are great. And so what we are trying to propose, what we think the top players are doing differently is they have a process. And this is really the best way we've come up to, to think of it. Like, all right, trying to draw an owl. Let's start with those two circles, but okay, from there... Not just going to fill it all in uh, because one, if you stop early or things change, you, you, you're kind of screwed. But two, if you don't know where to go next, you're not going to be able to get to this end result, no matter how hard you try. And so part of it is getting clear on, okay, like what's next? What are these next steps? What are the fundamentals of good lineups? What do these have to have? And I mean, in DFS, we know it's, it's going to be, for GPPs, which we're really focused on, it's obviously going to be stacks. And what those stacks look like, everything else um, changes. But we know what they need to have. We know we need good projections to figure out who to put in those stacks and all the other things there. And so we can put together a process to sort of slowly assemble this outline so that all we do at the end, once we get to this like viable spot, we're like, oh, yeah, that's an owl. If I stopped here, you'd have the right idea of what I'm building, but you wouldn't there would be some ambiguity. But when I put the eyes in, everything else is like, okay, yeah, that's an owl. It might not be the prettiest one, but it's an owl. Like, this is where you get to the spot where you've got lineups that are solid. I don't know that you would want to just, like, put them into the Thunderdome and all the other high-stakes stuff right there. Um, but there's some contests where maybe you're playing against some – in the drawing contest, you're going against some toddlers, and they can't even draw a circle. So, like, yeah, this would probably beat them. You got to figure out what you actually need to do to have a chance at winning the contest. And from there, that's where you've got to put most of your effort. Up to this point is the fundamentals. To go beyond that is where uh, skill, creativity, other things come in. And 
there's a lot that we can unpack there around like how to do that, how to know what to do, how to even get to that, that decent outline to begin with. Um, but that's at least the high level look at like where we want to push people is develop a process to reliably and consistently get you good lineups quickly so you can then invest the majority of your time adding those details, adding those creative elements that give you an edge that help you stand out from the field. Um, but if things change, if there is in football, we're fortunate where there's not going to be like true, like last minute scratches, um, like an NBA, but if things do change, you don't have to start over from zero. You can just erase a couple things and go back from there. Um, but yeah, Jordan, yeah. What what are your thoughts? How do we how do we bring this home a little bit? Um I, I want to talk a bit more about the exact things to do of like how to fill in the detail, how to get your edge, how to make it uh great from just mm -hmm. something that's good enough. But I think first we should just talk about like really where Saberson fits into all this. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the way that it makes sense to to think about Saberson as it fits into your process is it brings you immediately basically right up to that outline. Because of our play-by-play -play sims and a lineup builder that knows how to use the data directly from the sims, you're getting to a strong outline basically as soon as you start building your lineups. So, oh, and I actually, mean, I'm not to throw you off, but this is something uh, new. Yeah, I wouldn't put zero for those. Oh yeah, um, that's probably not a good idea. Yeah. So we do you know just, what the default is there? Just put like a thousand. Uh, put yeah, it, just where it won't even be a matter. But yeah, this is something we just actually added literally today, um, and it probably will change. It, will, it might be a little bit cleaner, but we added min and max own to the build settings. This is where you can uh, set a minimum amount of ownership you want for your lineup. So just add up the sum of all the ownerships for the players in a lineup, and it mm -hmm. needs to at least be above a certain amount. Uh, that can be helpful, I feel like, in, in showdowns to make sure you're not getting like super crazy uh, with, with some of the fades. But then the maximum is another way to just dial in uh, how much chalk do you want. Uh, there's going to be more stuff like this coming out, but I wanted mm -hmm. to at least when I saw that. Uh, called out and also just make sure we didn't get an empty build on the stream either, Jordan. Yeah, that's not good. Yeah. But this is, I mean, this is kind of the way that I think you should be thinking about SaberSim as it fits into your process. This is It's because we have such a strong understanding just right out of the gate of what makes a good lineup, what makes a good outline of your lineup portfolio. You're not starting from ground zero every single time that you sit down to build. And when you need to start over because there's breaking news or, or just because you want to take a little bit of a different approach, you're not going all the way back to square one. It also really will help you make sure that you're not making mistakes in just laying the first few steps of, of drawing your owl out in your build. You're starting from such a strong outline to begin with. There are a lot of different ways from there that you can start to add some additional value, add some detail, add some creativity to your process to take the next step. But I think the most important thing is just understanding where you're starting from here and and how that. Fits what into what your is it about process. that what we're doing that lets us? Because I think the easiest way to explain it again, I'm going to try to find a, a subtler way with the mm -hmm. owl metaphor, but we're going to go back to it and just really hammer that for now. Yeah. Um, I think what we're ultimately saying is that with SaberSim, you're able to just get to this spot pretty quickly. Right. Tell us a few things. And you're like, oh, you want to draw an owl? Okay, you want it to be like this? Like, okay, we'll give you something there. And then from here, it's up to you to like polish it, perfect it, all of that. 
but what to to get more practical of like without the talking of the owls and to get into lineups like what are we doing that lets us jumpstart things and give people that shortcut to just get like reasonable lineups without doing much on their own gotcha yeah i mean so I, the way i always think about it is it starts with the fact that instead of just coming up with player projections we're not saying you know christian mccaffrey in a vacuum is projected for 22.2 fantasy points that's representative of a full range of outcomes of where he can end up in this game and we get that by simulating out each game play by play those simulations also not only allow us to get the ranges of outcomes of certain players. It also allows us to quantify the correlations between players. So when we build your lineups, we're not just saying based on the average alone, what are some lineups that project pretty well at an average outcome and throwing all those players into the bucket, leading you to kind of figure out how to actually make those lineups end up having upside. In With SaberSim, what we're getting is we're pulling directly from the SIM data to find players that really actually have high scoring potential and build lineups with combinations of players that are correlated, that are likely to see success together. So you can see here, I mean, without doing anything, this is, again, just our our outline, without doing anything at all, we're getting lineups that have a nice balance of overall scoring potential with correlation, with the right stacks. We're also not getting lineups that are just going to eat all of the chalk and just throw in all of the highest projected own players. Right out of the gate, we're getting a, a that, that, that strong outline there, and it's because the approach, the, the fundamental approach of what Saversim's doing behind the scenes is just very different than other tools out there. Yeah, and I think with the owl stuff our owl our like good enough owl where the, the spot where like okay like yeah that's that's makes sense is it's just simply like a high upside lineup it's a lineup that has the right stacks it's a lineup that's taking account ownership it's not saying all of them are going to be the best lineup ever it's just saying like okay like this is going in the right direction and it's like pretty close and that's to me what Sabersim really does for those reasons mm -hmm. because we're able to utilize the simulation data we can get you to that spot pretty quickly with other tools like you can get there if, but if you're using a traditional optimizer it's like okay first i've got to upload my projections because the ones that are in there are not good then i've got to uh change a bunch of settings and from here it's like okay these are the first set of stacking rules i'm going to put in i'm going to make some groups um, let me see what that comes up with. Like, ooh, I'm, I'm gonna actually go back a little bit, change those a little bit, and then okay, now change one other thing, and okay, this looks okay. And I feel like what people don't appreciate uh, is that, yeah, most people, most of the of winning players like are using traditional optimizers, and that honestly, like that's why there's such an advantage to to using SaberSim, but it's like. It's not that you can't win with a traditional optimizer. It's not that those players have bad processes. It's that they're not effective. They're not efficient processes. They are spending so much time just getting down to here. But like this isn't what separates them. These are just mm -hmm. the table stakes. This is just what you have to put in to even have a chance. And because the way those tools are built in that they don't understand upside, they don't have the simulation data to actually put uh correlations and everything else into your lineups mm -hmm. they they have to tell it everything to do and with sabersim you can skip all those steps and focus on like what makes something great like this is i mean honestly like, none of these owls are ever going to be hung up in the loof but like <laughs> what make what separates like art that that high school is going to make from 
a real artist is not the the basics these fundamentals like they all like they they know decent colors and everything you use but it's that creative element it's where you get your edge it's where you add value to the process but if you're spending so much time if you're wasting so much time just getting to a good enough spot that's time you can't spend adding value that's time you can't spend sharpening your edge and that's one of the things like honestly we're we need to update the copy on our website because mm -hmm. it, it i think it hits on the wrong points it's not wrong um but it's not about saving time just so that you can build winning lineups in a few clicks and only spend five minutes and you're going to be at the top of the rotor grinders leaderboard like, like, that's not what we're about what we're about is getting you to a spot as fast as possible so that you can focus your efforts where they're going to have the biggest impact because that's what you need to do to win with how competitive the games have gotten recently. And if you have all the time in the world, if you're a professional player and are spending 80 hours a week on DFS, yeah, you can absolutely make it work with those traditional tools. We're not saying that, mm -hmm. but we are saying if you use the right tools, if you jumpstart that process, you would get a much bigger edge in much less time because you don't need to do those basics. You don't need to tell us what now it looks like. Yeah. And I think uh, we, we've almost ended up here with uh, maybe an inadvertent new Saberson mascot in this owl, but the chat <laughs> seems to really like the, the owl here. Um, Jay had a good question here, and I think this is, would, be, would be a good way for us to kind of segue into the next point. But he said, I understand the logic of having this process, but what are some of the specific key elements that top players utilize that gives them an edge? I, I know, I mean, Andy, what do you think about this yeah. in terms of like how somebody might start to figure out what is going to be the thing that takes their process to the next level? Yes, I mean, this is one of the things that um, I feel like we have a decent idea, but again, still kind of fleshing out. So in the chat, let me know if like these things don't make sense. Mm -hmm. um, but first off, it all depends on your skill and your time available. Like no two artists are going to paint exactly the same way and no two dfs players are going to like build exactly the same kind of lineups like you all have commonalities you all have fundamentals that that can make uh that, that are those table stakes those things that are required mm -hmm. but you also have opinions and you have things that you're better at than others and and things that you don't even know how to do so you got to kind of start from that spot of knowing what skills do i actually have and how much time do I have available? Because even if you have all the skill in the world, but have no time, like there's some things you're just not gonna be able to do. So you kind of have to set those constraints before even thinking about specifically, all right, like what do I do next? That out of the way though, there are some just quick wins that we can talk about, but mm -hmm. there really are four areas that we see at least most commonly that top players are going deeper into to get more of an edge. And it's improving projections, building more precise rules and groups, um, adjusting exposures, and creative late swap strategies. Um, for each of those, you could go like infinitely deep. There's basic things you can do all the way to like, you could never perfect this. Like you could just spend hours and hours and hours and hours and just like keep making small improvements. But, like there's a spectrum of uh impact and time and all of that but those are really the main areas and i think 
to get as practical as possible, Jay, um, what you're looking for are the things that objectively make the biggest impact first. You want to get that out of the way before worrying about the small details. Um, and so generally speaking, this is what are the changes you can make that will have the broadest uh, impact on your lineups? Like changing one player's projection can help, but it's not going to make a huge change. Um, but like putting in a more precise rule to all of your lineups could. And so that's just like directionally how to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, but specifically, one, I think it's just lace swap in general. Um, I think anyone listening to this right now, make sure that people that they have uh, in their lineups are actually playing. Um, I am probably like the exception of that where I haven't been playing a ton of DFS. And so whenever I would do it with, with baseball, I would just forget I had played and not check and <laughs> usually just have people not actually in it. But if you're actually being somewhat serious about this, you're going to make sure like you swap out the players who aren't in the game. Um, but again, that's like the table stakes. I think what more people should do is, okay, like at what point should I late swap from there? It's like, should I, and if I am doing a full late swap versus a quick swap, which is meaning like, do I rebuild my lineups or do I just take out the player? Um, in that case, it's like, okay, do I only swap the lineups where players are out or is this a big enough change to rebuild all of my lineups in football? I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jordan, on just like the specifics of late swap? I feel like in NBA, just literally by setting aside the time to late swap consistently before, like when lineups come out throughout the night, that will give you an edge. And if you are looking for things to adjust or things to mm -hmm. do before messing with any of those detailed things, like I would just set aside the time to do that. Um, but for football, what are your thoughts there, Jordan? Yeah. I mean, so again, I think the, the, the fundamental there is to make sure that you're not playing players that are out in your lineups. Right. I think that's uh, again, table stakes. That's, that's, the, that's the bare minimum from there. There's a spectrum of, you know, how much value you can add to that particular like, part of your game. I think pra practically speaking in NFL typical Sunday, like what is, what are you doing for late swap? Yeah. Are so, you late swapping? Or yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I no, before the afternoon games is like the main late swap window. So I'll, I'll keep an eye out on the inactives report and see in general uh, who's out. One thing that is super helpful new this year is this button up here will turn red automatically. If there's players in your entries file on Saberson that have since gotten ruled out uh, at a baseline, what I always want to start doing is just getting those players out of my lineups. So I will I will literally go through, quick swap all the players that are out with the next best available player. But one thing I like to do is try to judge the impact of that news a little bit. Uh, if there is a guy, you know, a starting running back that's gotten ruled out, uh, that's going to create an, a, an elite value on his backup. And it's not just enough for me to get that guy out of my lineups. I probably want to rebuild a lot of my lineups to get that new value player into to more lineups. So in that case, I'll actually be then doing a full late swap build and adjusting from there. Um, that is like the the basic version of, of kind of what I'm thinking about for my, my NFL late swap processes. First, get the players that are out, but then run another build. If there's a high impact player that's gotten ruled out that I can use to get a little bit more of a projection edge on a, on a lower salary play. Yeah. And, and actually um, Max had a good comment in the chat that I think like illustrates a lot of this impact stuff. So before I get into that, like really what, what the idea is, is okay. If someone is out in your lineups, that has a huge, like, replacing a zero with like a 10 or higher has a huge impact on your lineups. Like that's just obvious. 
But okay, like this big player is no longer going to be playing. Mm-hmm. That probably makes a difference. But if it's someone who is like was only going to be in on a couple snaps anyways, and they're no longer playing, like sure you could late swap. But like it's probably not going to matter. Um, so that's like the obvious impact stuff. But Max talked about like really when I said you could go infinitely deep on any one of these things. Like this is kind of an example of that. Is is like advanced late swap strategies of actually setting yourself up for a questionable player being out. Um, and that's the kind of stuff where I think with football, it can be, uh, it can be deceiving because like we're not building every single night like we are for basketball, mm-hmm. for baseball. And so one, we usually have more time available, but two, it's like, we also like got to wait till next week to try to get even. And so we often can over tinker. Um, that being said, as you move up in stakes, there the bar of uh, that you need to clear to like have a profitable lineup goes up. And the way you get that is you you kind of have to start looking for some of these more creative edges. And Max has a great suggestion for like what that can look like. Mm-hmm. And just the only caveat I would add with it is just. Don't go super deep on any one thing until you've made sure to cover your bases with some of those other big wins. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like, okay, there's going to be a handful of things, which I'll talk about in a minute, that are going to be big impact, are not going to take a ton of time. Get that stuff in first. And then if if you have a lot of extra time and want to tinker, that's fine. But just like don't let the tinkering uh, take away from like some of the the real impactful things. Um, But when you are ready, to invest more time uh, when you want to grow that edge, like that's a great way of doing it. That's a great example of like how you can go a bit deeper than most of us might be thinking about. Um, and I guess just on that note, like some of the other things that I think like really there are two main um, quick wins, big wins that I, I want to highlight. So the first is just when it comes to improving projections, mm-hmm. this is something that people spend a ton of time on. Um, and also it's just like exposures. I think these are both very similar projections is probably like more detailed, but Mm -hmm. it's like, we obsess over every exposure. Like, Oh, like what's too high for this? Like, what should I be doing here? And just can get lost in the weeds when there are some just like quick ways to manage your risk, to get some edge and dial those in without like, creating projections for yourself from scratch. Like that's obviously going pretty far when there are strong projection models out there like us, but also the competition, like there's plenty of good projections out there. So you should be using a projection system rather than doing it from scratch. But then rather than just like going through and trying to adjust every individual player and look at all of their exposures, it's okay. How do I narrow it down um, to only focus my adjustments on the ones that matter? Um, but also like how can i make some of this just not even be an issue and for projections the biggest and quickest win you can get is just aggregating them um subscribe to a few sites and average them together i don't know if it's live right now but we are going to have a way to do that just right within saversim otherwise you would just have to do it in excel and it might be a little bit of a pain if sites have different naming conventions but that's gonna be something we can do right in saversim um and it's weird to me. I, I get why people don't really talk about it um, because you people, like, I think 
if you're on one of these streams, like you view the other people making projections as your competition, but at the same time, all the top players subscribe to multiple sites and have some way of aggregating them. Mm -hmm. The simplest thing you can do is just literally average them together. Some people are going to go deeper, kind of like Max's example. It's like, yeah, you could do it in this case, but also you could set yourself up for that and other things. It's like, yeah, like some people will weight different sites differently in different positions, but like that's going to the details. Again, you're going to get the, the quickest, biggest win just by averaging them together. Um, and that's where I would start for projections. Um, for exposures, you could just start by looking at the outliers. And actually, this is something you and I were talking about yesterday yeah. Jordan. it's like okay what's a good exposure what how much is too much those are questions that like with experience and, and kind of skill and everything else like you're going to get a better feel for over time and that's often not a satisfying answer uh for someone who doesn't really know where to begin there and what we're trying to do is okay like what are the things that we can just say start here like without saying what is good or bad Here's what you can look for and how you can adjust. And it's by just focusing on the outliers. Um, and to do that, we need, it's like measuring sticks. And I think the, the most obvious one is, okay, this is what percent of the player is in my lineups, my exposure. And the ownership percent is how much I expect the field to have this player. And we often should be looking for, if not always be looking for like those leverage spots where mm -hmm. we disagree with the field. Um, but at the same time, the wisdom of the crowds is a thing. Um, DFS is not a perfectly efficient market. It's not saying that like the crowd is always right, but the crowd's not stupid on average. And so that is a great measuring stick of just saying, all right, like, do I want, do I want to take this big of a stance on this player without even saying is 58% too high. You're more saying like, do I really want three times as much Kelsey than the field? And the safest thing you could do if you don't have a good way of answering that question is just like cut it in half, like get it. You like Saberson's not dumb either. So like we're giving you a lot of this player for a reason, um, split the difference. But where I think you can then go the next step, is by like jotting that name down mm -hmm. and then doing some research and saying, okay, like, let me see, like, is there like, do which, which side do I agree with? Like, what are other people saying? Are other people do like, do other sites think he's going to be highly or lowly owned? Do our other streamers or other whatever podcasters, whatever else, like talking about this, like what is out there that could help me make a more informed decision here? And that's again where like it's more art than science and i can't give you like do exactly yeah. this for that but like i can say the, the impact things are these ones that are the big outliers um because if you're not that far off from the field you at least should know you're not making a big mistake um you're probably not getting much edge there either but like you're not screwing everything up um if you want to go deeper you could use the pool exposure column um and that one isn't going to be as clean as ownership will be, but it still is a good measuring stick of just saying like, okay, like across the entire pool of lineups that I have, I have this percent for this player, but in my top X lineups, I have this other percent. 
it's going to be normal to see some bunching. The the best plays are going to be closer to the top and in, in group up there. So like it shouldn't match that by any means. But the farther away from it is, it is the more you should at least look into it. And that's a spot where with ownership, I think it's fine having like a rule of thumb where you just say, if you're not as comfortable doing the research yourself, you just say, okay, I'm going to split the difference between the default exposure and the ownership. Um, that can't be bad, just subjectively, in my opinion. I wouldn't really recommend messing with uh, using like the pool exposure as a measuring stick unless you are confident in your research process mm -hmm. because it's just not as clean of a measurement. Um, but I think, yeah, does that make sense, guys, of like the kind of things that you can do to um, narrow down your choices? Because it's, it's super intimidating to come in and be like, okay, like I see all these exposures, but like what do I do next? And then you don't even like when you're trying to answer that in a vacuum, you're saying, okay, well, like, what is a good exposure? What should I do here? What should I do there? But when you can just narrow down the things you're even thinking about to the outliers, to the, the by outlier, I mean like the things that could have a big impact that keeps it incredibly simple um, while still getting that big impact and not taking that much time. And the other alternative is again, using the right tools. Um, SaberSim is going to jumpstart a lot of these steps of the process for you. You don't need to build as many rules or groups or even any, uh, because we do a lot of that uh, for you. And so just using SaberSim puts you farther along that path. Um, and so you're not going to get some big wins there. There are still some things you can do if you are more advanced and have a clear idea of maybe you go really deep into player correlations or game scripts and just have a good idea of, okay, like this might be how Saberson thinks these two players are correlated, but I, I don't really agree with that. And so I'm going to force them in a bit more by creating a group there, or I want to avoid them, whatever it else is. Like that's the stuff that falls in a more art than science mm -hmm. kind of a strategy. And there is absolutely edge there. And I can guarantee you that those top players have things like that, that they are doing, but you 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 don't need to like worry about painting all the feathers and everything else on the owl if you haven't colored it in it's like don't go super deep if you don't know how to do it or you don't have the time to actually do it well uh get those big wins in first and then if you still know how to go deeper like you're saying okay you said when you get more comfortable with research you can also look at pool exposure as kind of a measuring stick how do I get more comfortable with research? That's something that like we will be creating more videos on to help you level up your skills. And I think what will also be important is just saying, just because you have so much time to prepare for football, doesn't mean you should be spending all of that time building the actual lineups. And I think for most people, they should spend a significant amount of that time that they're currently using to build the lineups on leveling up their skills so that they learn new techniques. They learn how to, how to uh, fill in these details better. Um, and again, we're going to be coming out with more content to help you do that. But for now, it's like, get those basics in. And if you're not sure of what to do after that, even after getting some of this guidance, that's fine. Um, but work on like the research so you can make a more informed decision on, of how to use some of these other tools. Yeah. yeah I, did, I, did I lose everyone on that or? 
No, I was following you. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I'll, I'll just piggyback on a couple of those thoughts as well. I, I think with the idea of kind of aggregation too, that it doesn't even necessarily need to be for every single person. Like you're fully aggregating different models that can almost just be aggregation of different opinions. You know, if, if you, if people That's watch or anyone like me, like yeah. I listen to a ton of different shows and podcasts just to get excited for Sunday coming up every week and read a couple different articles along with doing my builds on SaberSim. Aggregation for you could be like, Hey, SaberSim really likes the Vikings, Chiefs, Chargers, and Cardinals stacks. And I, you know, I've been doing a little bit of my own research, seeing some other takes from some other sharp players. And they're on uh Colts and, and Bengals. And maybe aggregation for you is giving those teams a little bit of a boost based on your personal uh, you know, research process there. Um, in this case, it, it didn't build a big enough pool to get to some Colts. But um, so I think you know it, it's it's more about you know combining the the different research and aggregating that research together there on, on that particular point. Um, Jen also had asked a kind of a clarifying question here and said, so are you suggesting, let, let, I, Oh, go ahead. I'll, I want to jump into, uh, I want to answer that Jen. So just stick around for like a few minutes, but on your point, it's like something that went, we are going to like try to polish up these thoughts into a more presentable video mm -hmm. um, and a shorter one. Um, but one of the things that, I want to emphasize in that is just um, kind of these 80, 20 wins or these things that you can like, what is one decision you can make to just make five others irrelevant. And like, there are two paths you can go. You can do a bunch of research and you can go into the stats. You can go into all these other things and come up with your own opinions, or you can just like listen to podcasts and, and let the guys who, who follow all that stuff, get their take. And yeah, you want to do some vetting to make sure you trust their opinions, but like, that's a great shortcut. That's an 80, 20 mm -hmm. win where it's like, you're putting, it's probably more than that. Where it's like, you're putting in a little bit of effort to get a huge amount of the reward. And it's the same thing with like, rather than building your own projections from scratch, let us do that. And then if you have the time and skill, you can try to improve them from there. Um, but you don't need to do it all yourself. And like, I view aggregation as for me, like, the way I'm going to play, like I'm going to go that route before tuning into a ton of content because it's as far as like budget goes, like it doesn't bother me to pay for a few sites. And then as far as like time goes, I would be, I'd much rather like spend the money and not have to spend the time. And that's not to say there's not value in doing both. I think a lot, most of the top players do both. I'm not one of those players, um, but it's like, you can pick and choose where, the easiest win, if you just care about time and not about money, aggregate. Um, you can get a similar result, though, from uh, the more qualitative, but just like tuning into people and just getting their opinion and using that to, to guide yours. So that's kind of what I want to say on that. Um, mm -hmm. And then back to Jen's question. Um, is Yeah, going back to the pool exposure. Um, so this to catch people up who might miss this part, one of the things I touched on was finding, um, focusing on outliers rather than trying to just like look at numbers in a vacuum and just evaluate them for everybody. Um, it's you want to find the players that stand out. And the way you do that is like you have to figure out what are they standing out against? Like what is that uh, measuring stick you're using? And the most important one is going to be ownership because that is most reflective of what you're trying to solve for. You're comparing the exposure players in your lineups to the exposure 
of players in the lineups in the contest. Um, it's again, not to say they shouldn't be different, but where they're very different, that's a good place to do some more research mm -hmm. and, and check it out to see if you agree or disagree. Um, once you have that down, I think you can look at pool exposure in a similar way, but you want to be more cautious there. Um, because I guess as Jen's follow up, just adding to that was like, if we're using um, pool, if we're looking at pool exposure um, compared to regular exposure, like you're going to, in regular exposure, basically what I'm saying is you're going to get players that are more clustered. Right. Um, to me, that's a feature, not a bug, meaning like you should get players that are more clustered because not like every player has their own unique amount of upside. They're going to have different correlations and they're related to how the other players were like, not all players have the same value. And so just because when we build you 1500 lineups, we are saying, okay, these are the top 1500. The top 150 should not have the same percent of players as it would at like those percentages should not hold going from 150 to 1500 mm -hmm. because the fact that the players are have, have significantly different values. And I don't mean that in the like uh, dollars per points sense. It's just like they have different impacts. And that's why it's like, yeah, you, they will be clustered, but they should be in general. That's where I, I kind of go with like, you should have more experience on the research side to like really disagree with um, that. So like, if you want to look at pool exposures, I think it can be a measuring stick. You just have to be careful because if like, assuming Saberson was perfect, which we're not, but like in theory, you would ignore the pool exposures because we're saying the way we're ranking these lineups, yeah, the top 1500 lineups, this is what they would look like, but you're not playing 1500 lineups. You want the best 150 out of it. You should be looking at what those are, assuming we can perfectly calculate that and rank them. Um, this is where like that skill comes in is that it's not going to be perfect. Uh, and so finding ways to improve it is a skill. It's not something we can just say how to do it because if we, could teach the exact way of doing it, we would just improve that ourselves. Um, so long-winded way of saying clustering isn't bad inherently. It's actually good, but there are limits to it. And so mm -hmm. if you want to lower that exposure as like a risk management thing, you can do that, but just be cautious. But either way, I would just again, just be cautious in general. Is there anything you would add to that, Jordan? Because I know there's actually something you and I talked about for a while yesterday. Yeah, no, I think the main takeaway here is just to be like, I think cautious is a good word uh, of, of outliers. And, and I even think just using the leverage column and focusing mostly more on the, the ownership difference is fine. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think just in this exact example of where the, this build is right now, we, we ran this and we get one player doesn't even matter who the player is. We have one player standing alone, uh, you know, uh, two two times more leverage than the very next player who was kind of all then a little bit closer together here. The 80-20 the version of making an adjustment here might be, hey, I don't really have time to look too deep into this situation. I don't really know where to go look. I'm going to just bring that down so it's a little bit closer to everything else. 
the maybe more like advanced way to go a little bit further in here would be to look a little bit closer to Travis Kelsey's situation specifically and see, Hey, is there, you know, a reason why he is like, you know, an entire tier above the next best player in my original build here. Uh, what's going on with the chiefs this week? Um, what's the situation there? So I think outliers is kind of the way I would think about it, right. Is, is what, what players are really standing out on the first uh, outline that I've built here. And, and is that something that I have the, the time uh, and the, the, interest even to go research more or do i would just want to bring that down a little bit closer to everybody else yeah and to be like perfectly honest so this is one of those things that will adjust when we when i like re-record this um it's you've got to make sure you can get your lineups across the finish line um like you don't want to just go super deep into one thing um in, at the expense of other important things and so in these cases, it's like objectively using, if you're adjusting exposures and you decide that that is one of the important things for you to do because you've done the other things, you've made sure you have enough time for late swap in those other areas, like it, objectively using ownership as a measuring stick against exposure is better than using the pool exposure. Um, and from there, I actually think that's probably like a good place to like start really quickly is just like, okay, like let me just look at these. I'm going to right now, just like get this split the difference. And then I'm going to do some research if I have time to mm -hmm. see if I can like dial it in a bit more because how much better would the research make it if we spend like 15 minutes digging into this versus two seconds to just like split the difference. Like how much better are we really going to get with that extra 15 minutes? Probably not a ton is not to say you shouldn't like there will never be worth it to do that maybe you want to do that at some point anyways like that's fine but it's not really adding that much value versus just like splitting the difference and to go even further like the pool exposure column i think it's like a good thing to see and just kind of have up there but i just don't it's almost it almost in a lot of cases can just be like distracting uh because there's so much other stuff you can do that like clearly adds value before worrying about that level of detail um and I think, yeah, you, you followed up, Jen. Um, sometimes I notice that a player with 50% exposure for top 150 lineups gets down to 25 to 30 for top 300. And I think like that's kind of the thing where um, you don't think it's going to be that different of EV in that tight of a range. And like going from 20 lineups out of a pool of 1,500, you would want clustering and would not want to do that. If your pool isn't that much bigger than the main lineup set, then that will matter much more. And I should have clarified on that because yeah, like that, that is a good point. And so it's the bigger, the expected difference would be meaning like the farther apart the final lineup set is from the size of the pool, the less you should look at this and the closer together is the more it matters. But even then I would just, I wouldn't spend much time there. Like if, if that is a level of risk that you want to just remove, um, I would just do it quickly and just say, okay, like, let me find these spots where we're off from the pool by a significant amount that I wouldn't expect and just change it uh, and move on. Um, but like, I wouldn't dwell on it too much because I don't think, say you went from you had 40% exposure, 20% of the pool, you went to 30. If the like true correct was 27%, like that just doesn't matter. So it's like, be efficient, just get those quick wins. in. if you have identified that this is something that matters to you, mm -hmm. Definitely do that. But just again, just like don't don't go 
deeper than his need to because he's going to hit diminishing returns. But yeah, so other things, I mean, we covered a lot all over the place a bit, but hopefully it at least has the, the wheels spinning mm-hmm. in your heads uh, just about, okay, I, I, there's still probably like a thousand questions you might have about the specifics. If you have them right now, like fire away in the chat and we can talk more about this. Um, but again, keep an eye on your inbox. We're going to be cleaning this up and just like simplifying it. Um, m- maybe more owl. I'm not sure. We'll see. <laughs> um, but we can't yeah, go we'll, away we'll, from the owl now. It's it's yeah. iconic. Exactly. Yeah. I <laughs> kind of make, have some regrets, but that's okay. But no, th- this was kind of one of the big things that we're going to be doing this season is just trying to better answer those questions of like, what do I do? Um, and that's not to say it's only going to be for new players. In fact, I think it's going to benefit a lot of the more experienced players more because they're probably not asking that question as much as they should. Because I guarantee you that almost all of us have things we're doing in our process that just doesn't have that much value, takes a lot of time, and we should be spending it somewhere else. Um, don't care how good you are. Like that's just always going to be true. Um, and so it's, it's helping them ask that question and just giving people a framework that they can use to answer it. And when we can being as practical and specific, cause I know it's just frustrating to be like, Oh, well, it depends and this and that, like we do want to be specific. Um, so any other questions or in the chat, just again, feel free to, to leave those there. Um, someone asked, about the Patrick asked about the discord link. Uh, Jordan, can you post that in there? Yeah, and so we grab that migrated away from Slack to discord. Um, guess we're kind of like boomers in that sense. It took us a while, but <laughs> I, I was really the, the, the holdout there. Uh, and we're still keeping the internal company communication tools in Slack and I will die before we switch to discord but it's better for the community it's better for big groups and all of that and so we, we made the switch um and jordan just posted a link in there so if you're not in discord already you can click that link to join we have a bot set up so that you can link it to your SaberSim account which will give you access to more channels um and we'll eventually do some more with that of just like different live Q and A's, different things for different subscribers. And this will be a great way to manage that. Um, yeah, I mean, it sounds like I'm not seeing, and I, I wish in YouTube you could like see if people were typing, um, but right now I'm not seeing other questions on this, but do people have questions about, uh, I'm not going to be the guy to ask about like week one advice, but if you have questions about just like how to approach this season, just bigger picture questions, happy to jump into that, but um, anything on your mind. Feel free to, to dump in the chat. Yeah, I think there's a couple questions that have just come in throughout the stream that will just give me give us an opportunity to demo a couple other things or answer some quick questions. So um, Johnny Dollar said, uh, can you explain how to swap out 150 lineups I'll build this evening and post in DraftKings? Then on Sunday when I have more information uh, to run new projections again, is it just a late swap? What what I would actually recommend is is on Sunday is starting with another new build just because that's going to, again, allow you to kind of get a fresh new outline from which to work with, with all of those new updated projections and simulations. Whereas the if you run a late swap instead, it's just going to be 
you know, rebuilding the old lineups, you're not going to get as much out of that. Um, our final sims for a given week typically run about an hour before kickoff. So you should have enough time to do what you need to do to get it done in that period of time. And I think you're going to end up with a much better product doing it that way. So late swap, I think, is best applied after the lineups lock uh, and you're actually, you know, reacting to late news or something like that. Yeah. And so first, just going to vent at Jordan before we started recording. I asked him if he could hear my air conditioning. He said, no, it's because it wasn't on. Um, and so like, I could have used some help there, Jordan. It's been <laughs> a, a, a tough week for me and I just completely missed that. So I'm like dying over here. So I got that on. Uh, but back to, to the, the question. Um, I mean, this is something that kind of goes with that like repeatable process of, of how you're approaching the entire start to finish getting your lineups and your contests, updating them, all of that thing. And generally speaking, I think it's fine to play around in SaberSim earlier in the week and just get an idea. But I view that more as like informing research you want to do. Um, of like, oh, okay, like let's see how things are looking right now. Oh, I'll keep an ear out for that as I listen to podcasts throughout the week, whatever else. But I would not view it as like I'm building my lineups early and then I'm going to tweak them from there. Um, because a lot can change. Um, even if there's no like big injury news, just like coaching decisions, other things can have an impact. And just more information comes out throughout the week. Odds are changing everything. There's a lot of things that you want to get factored in. And so in those cases, you, you want to have as up-to-date information as you can. Uh, but And you've got to figure out what works for your schedule, for your process to, to do it. But don't do it earlier than you need to. Yeah, agreed. There's another question here um, that says, playing the 150 mini max, would you leave it up to the sim using a tight end in the flex? Uh, I'll, I'll get my stance on this first, and then Andy, feel free to chime in. I, I That's typically something that uh, I do give up the control there and just let the sims kind of decide where that makes sense. That's another advantage where, you know, on a, on a traditional optimizer, another tool, you might get two tight end lineups just because those two players just conveniently fit based on their average projections and salary. Uh, when you're using SaberSim, it means that you're getting those two players because they make sense in that lineup. And there is a, a, a set of outcomes for which that construction is actually optimal. Um, so you don't get a ton of them, honestly. Uh, you can actually so, go through here or go ahead. I guess I, I, I want to tie it back to what we were talking about because I think it's this is like a good example of that is that yeah. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, unless you are like doing all of the things that we've talked about mm -hmm. um it's not that that doesn't matter and it's not that there's like we're gonna get it the perfect amount uh in there but like you i think having the flex the tight end in flex sometimes is better than never having it but it's possible to have it too much what is that like really hard to say and there's no like magic number and so that makes it so that the likelihood of us like finding the correct answer is pretty low, but that also means that like the impact of it is not that high either. And so I know that, th that this isn't something that like you're like losing sleep over Johnny, but it's just kind of goes to the point of like, these are the little details that you have to obsess over in traditional optimizers, because if you don't manage every single detail, you're going to get some just wild lineups that have no chance of winning. The saber sim is not that you don't, like we're perfect in these spots, but it's that we're pretty damn good. So worrying about these small adjustments 
just doesn't matter as much as other things you could be doing. Um, and that's like really the core message I want to drive home in, in what we're talking about now. Um, and Jordan gave a more like diplomatic and, and practical message of like he doesn't worry about it. But I, I think it is important to say like those are the kind of things that it's not that they don't matter, but there's things that matter more that have a clearer answer that I would focus on first. Um, Nancy Drew guy had a question as well said, after you run a build, how do you spot upside players, uh, using the bell curve, uh, when you click on a player's name, um, I have Andy, I feel like kind of a practical answer to this one as well. I don't know if you want to take the first stab at this or should, if I should, if I should go first here, uh, I can go. And then you can just tell me if, if, if you disagree, um, I, I don't, with Saberson, you don't have to spot the upside players, mm-hmm. um, the bell curve is there if you want to like have more control over that like if you we talk about like your unique skills um if you really want to dig into stats you really have a strong aptitude for the math side of things and you want to see what distribution does this player have that is making saber sim like them so much more than i would expect then it's like okay check it against that and then you're going to go then like inform your research to say are like, do I really think they have this much upside? No? Okay. Um, but in like you're not you can spot check us on that, and that's where I think that can be helpful. But it's again one of those things that I think almost can be deceiving because yeah, when you click it, it's there and you see these correlation numbers too, and you feel like you should do something with that information. And it's you can, but like that's not the low-hanging fruit. Because like the way we build lineups is we are sampling from that distribution. We are looking at, okay, here are all the possible outcomes and how frequently they happen. Using sim precision, we will then factor that into the lineups that we get. So like we're finding the high upside players for you. Mm-hmm. Um, with a traditional optimizer that are exclusively using average uh, mean projections, that's not the case. And you do have to find ways of, well, these two players are projected similarly, which one really has a higher upside? That's where like, you really need to answer that question yourself. Um, with Saberson, you don't. And again, it's not because we're perfect with it, but it's because we're pretty damn good. And there are other things that are going to be better to focus the effort on than that, because it's just like, there's not a clear answer for it. It's that more art than science thing where, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know exactly how I would do that. Um, I, I don't think anything you could do there would, like, make a massive difference. But I don't know. What are your thoughts, Jordan? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, one thing, I mean, I do like to do if I am getting some exposure to a player that I'm, like, a little unsure of or a little bit confused by, instead of just, like, on an individual player basis, clicking their name and trying to, like learn something from the distribution. Uh, I do think it can be helpful to sometimes pull in a higher percentile projection into this column here and just kind of see like what, mm. what in the Sims is the expectation for that player when they're hitting their ceiling. I think the 95th percentile does a pretty good job of that. And I'll pull this over here and it can help me sometimes kind of visualize, hey, you know, when this player does have that big game in the Sims, what is that actually looking like? Uh, and and I think that's a little bit of an easier way instead of trying to figure it out from the distribution graph itself. Yeah, and and this is a good point. Um, I am like just so deep into this stuff, and I think Matt is similar. Where like by spending so much time on this, it's like 
we know all the work that goes in behind the scenes to like make it so that we can find the high upside players and that we do these things well. Um, but it is a bit of a black box. And so at the end of the day, like what I'm saying is, Hey, we're really good at this. You've got to trust us. Just ignore that. And I firmly believe that, but it's not always reassuring. And we are going to be working on some ways to just like make it easier to spot check that. Um, but I would just use it as a spot check, kind of like the outlier stuff of just saying like, oh, like, okay, Saberson really likes this guy. Why? And then we can tell you and then you can say, like, okay, do you agree or disagree? Mm -hmm. But it's not, it's more meant to like reassure and, and surface what's going on behind the scenes. And one of the ways I think we could do that would be um, showing the, so we have in the lineups, we show the average, we show the mean projection in that project column. That is not the projection that was used when we built that lineup. And so it would probably be helpful to also show um, the projection that was used to build that. And you could then see like, is this wild? Like, does this, could this player ever get that? Or you could maybe even just like, oh, okay, that's not even that much higher than the average. Like that kind of makes sense then. Okay. Um, like that's the kind of stuff that, that we need to do a better job of um, because I know that like, I feel firmly and strongly about this stuff and I, I think it's right. But at the end of the day, I'm asking you to just like trust us and, and, and put faith in the, the man behind the curtain. Um, and I think there's more we can do to, to prove it, to, to show it. So you have the tools yourself to, to trust, but verify. Yeah. And that's kind of how I like to think about it too. It's like, you know, sometimes you see a name there and you're like, Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that guy exactly. on my radar. Oh, he's got, you know, a 30.95th percentile at, at five or six K like that, that seems to, to be a pretty good play for me there. So, yeah. And it's like the, we talked about like the outliers and the measuring sticks. And I think that's can even just be, even if you don't adjust, it's like that can just be a sanity check because I mean, especially if you're playing smaller slates and other things, like you're going to see some really, what seem like really high exposures, but you're also going to see high ownerships. Like, oh, okay, like this is higher than I expected. Is that good or bad? It's like, well, don't, think as much in absolutes, look at it comparatively, look at the other things and just see, okay, this seems I'm reassured now, or maybe I have some more questions. I'm going to go research whatever else it is. Like it, it, it helps you kind of refine all that. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then just the last part on it, Nancy Drew guy followed up is again, it's not that you don't trust me. I'm not saying you, you don't like explicitly trust me, but the reasons why, you don't need to do this yourself is because I guess, Jordan, what, how would you best summarize sim precision? Uh, sim precision, I, I would say is a, like it's a sampling of individual. Well, it's a sampling of random. So what, from our, well, go ahead. Yeah. So what we do, we simulate every game out thousands of times mm -hmm. that gives us thousands of data points for how these, this game could play out the projections that people see, on the screen, the like the in the project column, all that. That's the mean average of all of those simulations. When you click on a player, their name, and see that distribution, Jordan, if you want to just, like bring that up, yeah, um, that shows their distribution. Meaning, like that plots out what all of those outcomes look like uh, across the simulations, and it's bell curve ish but it's not a true bell curve. So like a bell curve um, assumes that the anything 
uh, five points above average has the same probability as happening as anything five points below. Um, they think it's like perfectly balanced around the mean projection. In NBA, it's not that far off. In NFL and other sports, like it's just not the case. Even if you see the similarities, the average projection is 19. Um, the points just below that are way more likely than the points just above it, mm -hmm. but it ends at zero. And so, like, you practically speaking, like, not really going to get negative points, but you could get much more on the other end. So, that's why distributions matter. That's what we talk about when upside is the players who have more potential than their average projection would show. And what we've done is built sim precision into our lineup builder which samples this, um, this distribution to better capture the players who have more upside. Um, the way we do that is honestly like a bit confusing. Uh, we have some videos that go into it in about a lot more detail. Um, but on one extreme, you can shut off some precision and just use the average projection. And then you would have to identify the upside players. Um, on the other extreme, if you put it at 10, what that would do is make it so that um the every lineup is built using not even the like the projection but it's from one individual sim mm -hmm. then for the next lineup we're going to randomly pick another sim and take the the score from that um and so the way it reflects the distribution is the players who are more likely to have those higher uh tier outcomes those higher percentile outcomes are going to be more likely to like be picked when it's randomly selected and in between we change how big of a bucket we use and all of that um but that's what's going on behind the scenes and why we're able to isolate the upside well um and why it's not something that you would need to do um as at least like a early uh like big win you could get cool um, yeah, there are uh, a few people pointing out that, uh, according to James Cook last night, you, you definitely can get negative points. Uh, my lineups with, with Cook were, were dead on arrival yeah. quickly yesterday. So, and then, uh, yeah, verified old head just quickly, um, mentioned just struggling, uh, to get, uh, to cash or to be close in the leaderboards. Um, the blunt truth is like, I think people dramatically underestimate the ups and downs in DFS mm -hmm. of players who are proven to be winning players significantly over the long run. Um, we had a long uh, research project to dig into what variance actually looks like. And I think it was like, if your long-term ROI is around like 10%, you expect to win maybe like 25% of the nights, like not 25% of the lines, like you on the night, on the slate on the whole, you will have a winning slate if you're playing GVPs only 25% of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and that's like a good outcome. Um, and so that's just something that I think intuitively most of us don't, uh, like when we go through that, we're like, oh, we're not doing well. It's like, no, but like that's pretty normal. And that's not to say you can have one winning night every four. It, it, the distribution is not that clean. It's more like you could easily, it's very likely you will have like multiple losing weeks and that would be for like nba or mlb for football if you're just playing once a week that would be uh could be months if you're only playing the main slate um 
we have, yeah, like a five part series on a podcast we have called Behind the Sims that talks about how we did that research and what our findings were. Um, because the types of contests you play have a big impact on your variance. If you are only building a small number of lineups and play, focusing on single entry and three max contests, your theoretical ROI is going to be higher, but your swings are going to be massive because um, you just don't have that many shots on goal. That's where actually like the higher entry limit, the 20 max, 150 max contests really actually like are lower variants. Um, they're going to be slightly lower edge on average, but you want to play a balance of those two types of contests um, to get even to that 25% ish mark. Um, we also though, Jordan has a video about our like more practical findings of these are the contests to play to minimize that. So not necessarily like an answer to this question directly, but it's more, I think like you got to focus on like, okay, how many lineups are you building? How long a period is this been like seven days for MLB? I know that's really frustrating, but you might, I would expect you to have a losing week more likely than a winning week. Um, or close. Like I, yeah, I would probably assume that's the case. Um, it sucks when you go through it and you, you want to make sure you're making the right choices to minimize the likelihood of it happening. But like that's a pretty normal outcome. Um, we've got a ton of content to help improve that um, and make sure you're doing the right things because yeah, if you're not winning that frequently, you got to make sure when you do the wins really count and make up for everything else. So check out some of those other, those other videos. Cool. Um, there's a, a, some other questions in here as well. Um, Stanley had said, uh, in, in practicing from last season, I find it impossible to duplicate the bank lineup uh, without, even with knowing the actuals, would it be a better approach or plus EV to aim at being over the average money line? I, I, in general, push back a little bit on this process of review. I think at best, even if you figured out exactly how to set everything up, to build what was the banking lineup in your pool for one slate that's already taken place, you will have ultimately just figured out how to over-optimize for a particular slate that happened once and will never happen again. I think in general, I'd recommend spending a little bit more time building a repeatable process for upcoming slates rather than trying to figure out how to have optimized for, for just like basically a one real life sim sample of how a slate could play out. But um, any thoughts there, Andy? Yeah. Um... I mean, I'm going to try to like not go on and on and on and on for this, but I think it's an important point. Um, it's not a right, like you're saying. It's, it when you, I think in general, people obsess over back testing, a different sliders and different settings, and a lot of that is understandable because like you're trying to find like the right combination, but there's not one combination like there's not one thing that's always going to work or even regularly like it's, it's it's going to consistently work um when you get that precise and a lot of this to me does come from the traditional optimizer world where like you had to put in so many different settings and chain in the set like program in so many different rules and everything else that like yeah you're you want to make sure these ones make sense and so you're using the only means you have available to like test them and look at that and all of that other stuff. Um, 
and so there were reasons for it, but I think people over-index on that. And it goes back to what I was saying before about the variance. Is that like, I, I, I wouldn't try to evaluate on an individual um, level. And that's not to say like, don't go back and see what tweaks you could have made to like improve, but you're not going to get findings from looking at one slate, um, even a dozen slates. It's like you want to, as part of your process, I think looking at and reviewing previous slates can be valuable, but you're trying to pick up on trends over a larger sample without uh, what's called overfitting, without like adapting too much to short-term results that aren't actually predictive. Um, and so that's why in a lot of the stuff we've talked about and the things that we're going to flesh out a bit more when we, we do this, like how to beat NFL content uh, again is what are those repeatable elements? Like what are the things you know you need to do every time? Um, get those in place. But like you're not going to duplicate the bank line um, in whatever you could do to get there. Would I would guarantee would not get you there the next day and would likely like it's, it's because to hit these spots can like there's nothing that's going to get there consistently. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's probably I'll stop beating a dead horse on that one. Um, Jay asked, should you set max exposure to minimum exposure when you set game stacks? Um, I'll let you. Yeah, I mean, so I would say it, it probably I would only I, I don't think I would ever do that mostly because I'm never that opinionated where I know I, ex I want exactly a certain percentage. Like if you've identified Green Bay and Minnesota as a game that has potential to shoot out uh, and you, and you want, you know, at least 20%, that would probably be enough for me. And then I'll go through and, and adjust the other steps in my process, as opposed to setting both min and max to 20% and asking for a very precise exposure. Um, and if you have that strong of a stance on it, uh, I think that's fine. But I would say in general, I think probably, you know, if you're if you're at 12 percent, you want 20 setting min exposure is probably sufficient and vice versa. If you know if you wanted to reduce exposure to this game, if you're at 18, setting max 10 is probably sufficient as opposed to trying to say exactly 10 or exactly 20. Yeah, let me let me I'm going to bring up the owl. Um, OK, so. This is something I think we should have done. A, I should have done a better job of covering is we didn't talk enough about like everyone's got opinions. And I think there are ways to cons more consistently like sharpen your opinions to like make it so that it's more likely to be accurate and all of that. But like at the end of the day, we all have our takes and that's fine. Like I, I'm often going to be coming at this from like the, purely analytical like here is the exact like technical way of thinking about this but that's just not reality not even for me like that's not how things work um and like having your opinions is is you should and i mean a lot of it it's like we're not playing dfs to be the next giant squid like even the back of our mind like that would be awesome and it obviously would but like realistically like we're we enjoy this we enjoy the process it makes the games more exciting and we want to have a good shot at like winning some extra cash on the side. We don't want to like lose money. We want to win money. And, and there are ways we can do that more consistently than others. But like, that's our, we, we want to have fun with it and removing all opinion 
from the process is not a great way to have fun. Um, with that in mind, the reason I talked about the owl is like there, we could train you on like, these are the things to do to get this owl. And here are the colors to pick. Here's what to do. And honestly, like we are going to cover some of those things so that like at the basic, the non-experienced contests, those like lower buy-in ones, this will be profitable. Like that will be enough. We're picking the contests we're entering this picture into where we're stacking the deck and we're just playing against a bunch of toddlers. Um, and so, yeah, you don't need to be that sophisticated to win. Um, but it removes all artistic creativity, everything that like it's all of your opinion does. It's not your owl. You just followed our instructions. And like, yeah, you might've gotten a few bucks out of it at the end of it, but you kind of feel a little hollow inside afterwards. Um, you, you, you just feel like you sold yourself out just for a few bucks and no one wants to do that. So really like there is that part of making sure you don't obsess over your opinions and let them cloud your judgment and just like fuck up the owl in a way that like it's no longer an owl. And this is where the metaphor is like falling apart of it. But ultimately like you got to get the big things in first before you worry about like adjusting individual players, stacks, even things like that, or just like really detailed changes, make sure you are not missing some of those big wins. Make sure you have a coherent late swap strategy in place. And again, for football, it doesn't take a ton of time, but you got to be doing that first. If you aren't listening to other podcasts, do that because like that will shortcut your research more so that like it's not just whatever popped into your brain whatever biases you have you at least are checking against something else if you have the budget for it subscribe to another projection source and use that as a more objective measure um and then it's like again before worrying about how should i set this player it's first like are they like don't worry about the things that aren't outliers and this is like getting the going from like okay like i can see this an owl it's like before we go further like let's just not forget these details like we we got to fill in these things as they matter it gives a shape of the owl you got to get this first if you don't go any further like you could go off the rails like maybe you get to a good spot maybe you get the right answer there's a good chance you don't and so it's not silly in the sense of like what should i put this exposure to uh for this exact spot but it's more just like reinforcing like do not worry about this until you have those basics in and then more to what Jordan was saying is once you get to this kind of opinionated work, it's figuring out how can I do this in a way that like is not, I'm not trying to predict the future. I am not saying this is exactly what's going to happen. I'm shaping it in the right direction. I'm molding it. I'm getting closer to what I feel, but I'm not just like ignoring everything else. Like, you might think, Andy, you know what an owl looks like, but I really do know. And maybe you don't. Like, And if you just ignore everything I say, like, no, no, like I've studied this. Like, I know what owls look like. I've looked at a bunch of them getting ready for this stream. But you're like, no, no, I really know owls. And that's not one. Like, that just, you are going to lose the contest. And so, like, listen to me. But again, don't ignore everything you're thinking on your own. Um, let those opinions seep in. But when you're trying to, like, just say, I want to which is basically setting the min and max the same. You're trying to get exactly that amount. 
I don't think anyone has that level of precision. Um, so it's like Jordan said, if you really want more of it, boost it a bit more from what we're giving you. But like, don't go further than that. Cool. Um, grab a couple other questions here. Um, this one came in uh, in Discord. Um, and uh, says, when creating lineups, do you ever go into your pool to prune out lineups uh, that have too high of an ownership for the contest you're playing? Or do you trust SaberSim to automatically do that for you? Uh, I think probably know where I'm going on this one. This isn't something that I spend a lot of time on. I think SaberSim, again, does a really good job between the ownership fade slider and the Sim Precision to give well-balanced lineups that fit the particular contest you're building them for. Um, I think there might be some incremental improvements if you have. I know sometimes that people have kind of a, a top end ownership that they're comfortable with for a particular contest, which is why we added this new feature into the build settings. Uh, it's not something that at least, you know, to open the season up, I'm planning on doing a ton of, cause I think it's uh, it, SaberSim does a good job of doing that for me. Yeah. One of the things that we are going to talk about is like, as one of those ways where you can um, add value where you, where you can get a bigger edge uh, is like lineup filtering, lineup ranking, that sort of thing. That is something that top players are doing. Um, it's just, we didn't want to include it because I think it's really easy to um, over-index on that stuff. And it's also hard to get it right or to know that you've gotten it right. Um, and so it's one of those things where another thing I do want to, I'm almost just saying this, for you, Jordan, so that like you remind me of it. But like one of the things I, I want to improve with this content is if you have strong opinions that you feel like are well researched, and whether that's about a specific slate or about what makes a good lineup. And like in this case, if you have really strong opinions on what too high of ownership is, put that in and tell us. Like if you really like have a strong opinion there, awesome. Because, again, we are giving you the outline and you're filling it in. And we're not going to be able to predict all the details perfectly. Even if we give you, like, the full picture, you're going to have to make some changes. And we can't teach you exactly what to do there. So it's one of those things where if you've been playing for a while and you've really honed in your process and have a, a strong feel for, like, what too high of ownership is, use that. And with these new features, you'll be able to tell us that up front. We just won't even build lineups that exceed the threshold. But if you are asking, is this something I should look into? I'd say like, no, um, because like, there's not, a, there's not a clear cut answer. Um, that could be one of the areas that makes sense for you to tackle next as when you start studying a bit more on like, in however you want to do that to like better answer this. But it's like, if you don't already have that clear opinion, the more precise of a thing you're trying to do, the less likely that's the best use of your time. It's like, first, thinking about how could you research this to see, like, is there, like, does this actually have an impact? If so, what is a reasonable limit? And then what is the best way to actually do that? Um, but it's not something like, we don't think there is a clear answer to that. I guess so. Would you yeah, add? No, I think that's good. I think a lot of times too, you know, 
the the danger of using some kind of heuristic there is that it's going to miss a lot of important context about a slate or or sometimes a particular contest. Uh, how much ownership makes sense to play in the minimax, for example, depends a lot on how the players on the slate are projected and owned. If there is a player projected, just to use hyperbole here as an example, for 100 points, it doesn't matter if that player is 100% owned or or 20% owned. You want 100% of that guy because he's so overwhelmingly projected. Uh, so I think that's the danger of trying to say, oh, every time in my process I use 125% max ownership, you're going to miss opportunities like that. So, Right, exactly. It's like these rules of thumb across the board are never going to be perfect. So you're going to lose out on some things where it's like, oh, because of these this combination of factors, this is actually a little bit different this time. Um, and with traditional optimizers, you needed to have those or else like you just wouldn't get good lineups. And because like we're able to get you pretty close to that, um, it's not as important to do that. And it's not to say there's not value, but it shouldn't just be a blanket number. Um, Guy Will Gamble had said, can we talk single game? I have no idea what that owl looks like. It said, what are some helpful things that uh, you could do to add value in avoiding duplication? I, I will... Or go ahead. Jordan did just have a yeah uh, the home for you, so you don't have to. You just put out an awesome video on uh, beating NFL showdowns, so I would check that out because uh, he covered it in a ton of detail there. Um, but I think touching on the duplication is an important one, and honestly, like that's one of the things where we should have added that to like here's the kind of the the quick wins you can get um, on a main slate NFL, not really relevant, but for showdowns, it is. Um, and Jordan, I guess if you want to just like kind of like run through some of your quick, quick thoughts on that. Yeah. For so, I think by far my favorite way to avoid getting duped where possible on showdown is to basically take what I think is going to be the the chalky game script and flip that on its head. Uh, so, you know, last night, for example, uh, you have a fifty-plus point total, relatively close spread. Offenses that are perceived to be pretty high firepower here. Some of my favorite ways to just build lineups that were a little bit different were to build lineups that had more Rams than Bills, uh, build lineups that maybe favored defenses and kickers a little bit more, hoping for a lower scoring game, uh, and to fade some of the chalkier, more popular Bills captains um, was kind of my general approach. I think you can do that safely for lack of a better word in Saberson because you know that every single lineup in your pool is built from a sim so if you end up fading josh allen at your captain at after you build your, your lineups or building lineups that are only you know four rams five rams kind of builds you're just selecting for sims where that construction was optimal rather than just trying to like force an optimizer to give you those constructions uh, so that's that's the way I like to think about it. I think you can do a couple other things. Um, you know, that, that's probably the easiest one, but I think there's a couple like more, you know, a, a advanced or, or uh, you know, small iterative improvements that you can make from there. Um, building lineups, especially in really large field tournaments that have a little bit of negative correlation, uh, I think can actually make you quite a bit more unique. People are scared to play. Uh, the same team or uh, a quarterback against his opposing defense. People are often also scared to play two running backs from the same team or play a wide receiver and the captain without a quarterback. Um, little things like that you can you can do to just squeeze out a little bit of extra juice there and making your lineups unique. Um, but I, again, went 
really deep into this on this stream a couple days ago. So I definitely check it out if you didn't have a chance to see. What it. are the like the the fastest like? I mean, literally just like lowering max salary. Like there there are some quick wins things like that that you can do. That yeah. So I think lowering max salary a bit, like in your build settings, will help. Um, another one, just like blindly fading the chalkiest captains, I think is actually a pretty good strategy. Um, just because there are so yeah. many lineups that are good without those guys. Like if you just uncheck Allen Cup digs, you're going to get. I know Allen Robinson with hindsight didn't pay out too much, but you're just immediately going to be playing a portfolio of lineups that is just very different from what the average player is going to do. Um, that's like the quickest cut and dry version, I think, of trying. Yeah, to like that. Too. That's like the the definition of like the eighty twenty stuff we're talking about, where it's like, get that in. Is it worth going beyond that? Like maybe, but like that will get you a huge amount of the way there without just much time at all. Um, Jaybird, is late swap just as important in NFL as it is in NBA? No, um, it still matters, especially because like it's not that there are quick wins there of just like actually doing it um, will give you an edge versus not doing it. But the edge is not, if you don't, you can still win without late swapping. Whereas an NBA you can, but not really, like it. I don't actually know if you can really anymore. Um, you're not going to win at like anything significant in NBA without late swapping. Like it, it really is a requirement. It's not that level in NFL, but it's still just like an easy way to get, extra edge so i wouldn't ignore it but yeah and jay on this follow-up here i i have a hunch that you're putting these game stack exposures in before the build in the projections tab and i think you're actually i think you're running into a bug here um if you can for me in the settings up top here click this and then click report a problem and just post this message uh into that and send that message to our support team i think there's a there was a bug I, I I found yesterday messing around with this here that I think you're running into. In the meantime, what I would do instead is what I demonstrated before, where just don't put that information in before the build and just adjust those exposures afterwards to get what you're looking for. So if you want 10% uh, game stacks of each of these games, set that post-build in the game stack section as opposed to pre-build, and then you should be okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that wraps it up yeah um, i think we're all caught up here yeah if anyone has anything else you can always shoot a message into discord um but yeah good luck this weekend and we'll be sending out a few more emails uh putting some more content together so definitely stay tuned but if there's anything else you want us to cover in future uh sessions like this just let us know thanks guys all right thanks everybody